Hello, and welcome to the Bikes or Death podcast. My name is Patrick, and I'm your host. And this is a show that talks about bikepacking, adventuring, and the cool people who participate. Before we get to today's show, just a quick uh, couple notes. Uh, first off, in the real world, I'm a real estate agent. I'm currently working in open house, and it's very slow, so I decided I would multitask and uh, record the intro and outro to this uh, this episode today. Uh, but there is a fire alarm that's beeping and I've hid myself in a closet and I've closed all the doors to try to make it as quiet as possible. Um, if you, if the mic picks that up, I'm sorry, I tried, um, but we'll get through this together. Also, um, I'm fighting a cold. So, uh, yeah, if it sounds like I just woke up, um, I'm just nasally. Hey, that's the way it goes sometimes. All right, well, continuing on with our Bikepacking Summit series, I'm excited today that uh, Joe Cruz is my guest. If you listen to the first two episodes, um, his name came up both times. Uh, he gave a really profound opening presentation about fear and how to deal with fear um, that was truly powerful, not only because of the, the things that he said, but the way that he said them. And he lived, uh, he's lived and experienced things that has allowed him to shape his understanding and his relationship with fear. And it's, it's just a really, it's an important message and it's a different way of looking at fear than maybe what we're used to. Um, so I'll let him tell you about that, but I'm super excited to have him on. Uh, it was a very impromptu, uh, interview. I actually had just wrapped up with one and there was like a gap, the last day of the summit, I did, I think five interviews in one day. And I pretty much just sat in a chair and I had them back to back to back. Um, but there was, there was a little window, uh, where I caught Joe and he came and sat down with me and we had a really great conversation, a conversation. So anyway, I'm excited for y'all to hear that from the man himself and you'll get a little taste of that presentation. Uh, it's not the whole thing. Um, you had to be there kind of to get the full effect, but I think you get a really good idea. A few items of housekeeping. If you haven't heard, I am working diligently to fund a van that I want to turn into a mobile podcasting studio. The idea is that I'll be able to drive around uh, the United States and interview people um, with a studio inside the van. Um, I think it'd be really neat, but also just makes me getting to people and interviewing them in person way more accessible. Um, I just got back from the summit, as you know, and uh, this week actually, so today is Sunday, when I'm recording this, I'll release it on Tuesday. And then on Wednesday, the fam and I are headed out to Patagonia, Arizona, where I'm going to be at the Spirit World 100. I'm going to be talking to some people there and also going to do the 50 milers so I can get a taste of what the riders are experiencing. And then, uh, yeah, just have a better understanding of, of the terrain and the, the ride and the people and everything. Get immersed in it. And then talk to some people. should be a good time. So if you're in the area and you want to uh, come hang out and ride bikes, you should do that. I'll be there Thursday through Sunday. So the idea is that I could take a van there and record an episode. Um, I have started a GoFundMe to make that happen. I'm asking for $5,000, which sounds like a lot, but it's a sweet van. It's totally worth it. And Really, if everybody who listened to this episode was to contribute like a dollar or a dollar fifty, uh, we would more than have enough to afford the van. 
So if you'd like to help out with that, uh, do me a huge favor and head over to, geez, go to GoFundMe and type in Bikes or Death, or you can go to my Instagram or Facebook and find a link there. We're at about $480 right now, so almost 10% of the way there. It's been running for about five days, so it's pretty sweet that a lot of people have jumped on to help out with that and think it would be a great idea. Uh, and <clears throat> I can't release the details yet, but uh, there are going to be some nice incentives uh, for people to uh, to donate. Well, I guess I can release. So here's what I'm going to do. I've reached out to some industry partners or some people in the industry that I have good relationships with. Um, I'm going to be raffling off some really neat items. Not able to tell you what they all are right now, um, but trust me, there are some really good ones in there. So it doesn't matter if you've already donated or if you're going to donate. Um, basically, every dollar is a raffle ticket. So whenever I get to a thousand dollars, I'm going to raffle off the first item, and then every thousand after that, and then when we get to five thousand, uh, we'll just raffle off the rest of the shebang, everything left. I really appreciate um, all the people who I reached out to that were so generous to donate stuff. Like I said, I'm going to be uh, revealing what those items are in the very near future. But for now, like I said, do me a favor, help me finance this van. Uh, it's a really perfect van. And if you're interested, listen all the way to the end of the episode and I'll talk more a little bit about it because some people were curious about the specs on the van and whatnot. Um, but that's enough about that. In the vein of the Bikepacking Summit, I just published an article on my website, bikesfordeath.com, about the Bikepacking Summit. It's my 2019 Bikepacking Summit recap with pictures and just some words and insights and thoughts from yours truly. Um, A lot of the pictures came from Miles Arbor. He let me borrow a bunch of them. A few of them are mine, but most of them came from Miles. So thanks, Miles. I appreciate every single one of y'all so much. This show is 100% listener supported and it wouldn't be anything if it wasn't for the people who contribute and make it possible. If you'd like to hear how you can contribute and help grow the podcast, stick around all the way through the end of the episode and I'll talk more about that. But for right now, the only thing that I ask is if you will go to iTunes and leave a five-star review, it is very helpful in growing the podcast and sharing it and allowing other people to find it. So if you'll do that, I'll, I appreciate it very much. All right. And now you'll hear Miles Arbor's version of the Bikes or Death intro song. This song he recorded on his episode. It was his idea. I had no idea he was going to do it, um, but he recorded it on a Gitalele in his van and uh, it's pretty sweet so miles arbor take it away you load up your bike you ride away from home you could be with your friends or you could be alone you ride for a day or maybe more you just love being in the great outdoors everything you need is strapped to your bars including that new pillow you got from santa claus and then you think shit to yourself you left that super lightweight tent on the living room shelf bikes podcast all right man glad Uh, to be here yeah well first off who are you my name is joe cruz i am a professor of philosophy at williams college in western massachusetts i'm also an avid bike traveler and bike packer 
took my first bike packing trip in 1988 and I feel like I've I've been around this way of pedaling in the world for a while. Yeah. I'm one of the editors at large at bikepacking.com and I count a lot of people in this community as friends and inspiration. Right. So what are some things that you've done that people would know about you from? A few few years ago, Logan Logan Watts and I put together the Green Mountain Gravel Growler, which is a tour around Vermont, a state that I now live in for half the time. And we're proud of that because it introduces people to the the brewery culture, but also the wider culture of, of that beautiful New England state. I've scouted out routes in Kyrgyzstan, a route that was later used in large part for the the Silk Road mountain race. I've personally done big trips in South America from Ecuador down to the bottom of Chile and uh, a big route in Asia where I had a, a powerful time. I spent a year out there. So I've traveled overseas a bit, but also done domestic stuff that is meaningful to me and, and that, that yeah. stands out. Yeah, you've been doing this a long time. What what is it the what is the thing that keeps you going and and so dedicated to this sport and this way of life for such a long period of time? Cuz you your was your first one on the full suspension bike with the trailer? No, that that, that came later. Okay. Uh, it's funny that you should bring that up. That was that was that year long in in eight, the year long trip in Asia okay. where I was on a on a 2001 Santa Cruz Superlight which I brought over there so I could do some racing and I was pulling a trailer behind that bicycle. But that was, that was well into, into my time doing this sort of thing. My first trip was on a GT Tequesta, <laughs> a $340 bike from the local bike and that shop. that was like 88? That was 88, yeah, 88. 1988. Nice. And that was, that was the White Rim Trail. And we'd heard from the local bike shop that folks on motorcycles were doing this, this circuit of gorgeous backcountry in Utah and I I I first phoned up and then wrote a letter to the Rim Cyclery in Moab to to send to send me a map mm-hmm. of of this white rim trail which they did I sent them a self-addressed stamped envelope and they sent me and a check and they sent me back this map and we took a train out west and it was a transformative experience for me and my first time out west it was uh, you know we knew less than nothing and mm-hmm. and that ignorance sort of the depth of that ignorance gave that trip a a certain resonance and dimension. But to answer your question as to what keeps me doing this stuff, I think it's changed over over years. I I I love just about every corner of bikepacking as something that people do, which is to say I love the the wild backcountry you're by yourself or you're with a small group of friends in a way off the grid uh, context. I love that aspect of, of bikepacking. If you're on a full suspension bike or you're on your, your hardtail and you've, you've got a backpack on and, and all your gear with you, that's, that to me is a, is a compelling image of bikepacking. And maybe it was even the dominant image as recently as six or seven years ago. Mm -hmm. But I also very much appreciate and love the, the kind of riding that brings you through developed areas and introduces you to culture and the people who live in the place where you're traveling and maybe gravel bikes or all road bikes have opened that, that aspect of it up a little bit. So I, I do both of those and love them in equal parts. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. It seems, I mean, you are extremely well-traveled um, and, and on a bike at that. And 
you you just speak from a different place of experience than most people that I mean you, you know that haven't had those same types of experiences. Thanks. Thanks. Uh, so what is it that you look for now if you're if you're going to plan a route like what inspires you to go to a Kur- uh, say Hel- Kyrgyzstan yeah Kyrgyzstan um, you know what 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 are you looking for if you're going to go and do something like that? I made this joke a couple of days ago at at this bikepacking summit but the joke was enough serious that I I can tell it again which is I'm often looking for places where our our popular conception of that place what we read in the news what we what we hear from from whatever sources we hear global news from (laughs) I'm looking for places where what we hear tells you not to not to go or to to be wary or to or to or to wonder and be concerned about the difference between you and the people that you'll meet there and i say it as a joke because you know it's not literally true that i i open the newspaper and check to see where there's conflict in the world and i i buy the ticket to go there but that's pretty close to true which is to say i want to see i want to be i want to experience places in this world that that are where our narrative about those places is a distortion Mm -hmm. and i want to i in a way it goes back to to being a professor and and standing in a classroom and lecturing to to young people i I never want to be that professor who who lectures on human nature but hasn't met human beings Mm -hmm. so so planning a trip to a few years ago planning a trip to syria uh, before before the most serious aspects of that recent conflict uh, broke out, planning a trip to Syria and flying into Aleppo and riding down through Jordan, crossing the the Bay of Aqaba and and then riding through Egypt and being there, right at the right at the brink of the the so-called Arab Spring and and Tahrir Square. Uh, this is in 2011, in January 2011. Like that kind of experience for me is crucial for my engagement with a global culture and with difference that I respect and care about. So yeah. that's, that's what drives me to visit the places that I want to visit. Yeah. That's, that's a much, um, it's like you said, I mean, it's very counterintuitive to the way you might approach, but you're doing it for a very intentional and an, an important reason for yourself I am. I am. to give a, a broader perspective to what's actually happening, which I personally, like I never went to college, but uh, I mean, just as someone who's uh, out there teaching and, uh, and 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 trying to inspire a new generation, like you're doing it in a very purposeful way, and it's really powerful. Thank it's you, like thank really you for neat. saying that. So, along, I mean, the truth is, you've done a lot, and we don't have all the time in the world to go into all of them. But um, through your trips, uh, you've had to encounter your own personal fears That's at right. different times uh as we all would if we were traveling uh, these kinds of distances in different areas and meeting different people and not speaking the language right so you're you gave a presentation here at the summit uh talking about fear um and 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 how to overcome that so maybe i don't know maybe you can do it however you want to but maybe we could start with like what your main points were sure and then maybe some stories that kind of illustrate that or a good story yeah, I I think I can say something about that. It's not the first time I gave that talk, but every time I give it, it changes a little bit. 
because I grow from having conversations with people about about fear and about putting oneself out in this world. And I, I think through my own relationship to years of, of bikepacking. So the way I'm thinking about it these days is fear is a source of lesson and inspiration for me. I, I don't I don't shy away from my own fears. I try to I try to meet them head on and try to understand them as as they present themselves to me. And I I wanted to identify four possible ways in which fear ha- has taught me something and might teach all of us something. So the first way was to say that that sometimes in in the profundity of an experience in the sort of the scale of the experience the fear that you thought you were going to have before you went into it or maybe even the fear that started to to well up as you were in that experience that fear evaporates and what i what i mean by that is that the fear becomes uh something insignificant against a bigger background mm-hmm. of the presence in the experience itself and one of the stories i told about that was traveling in tibet and being at high altitude and and maybe not timing timing my passage over over a high pass correctly and so getting up to that that high point you know 15 16000 feet at in the middle of the night and freezing conditions and not not really being enough of a master of my thoughts to have put my gloves on and not really being aware of of my own my own body like that can be a fearful experience Mm. but on the other hand that fear in a way evaporated into the into the starry sky because i was in this incredibly profound moving place and we we often find ourselves it doesn't have to be a big trip it it can be it can be in your backyard but we often find ourselves in situations where where if we're open enough and present enough to to what's around us then that fear it becomes an insignificant and and uh, decreasing part of our reality, mm. and that's that's happened to me, and I think it's happened to other people. If we can yeah. concentrate on that, pa- no, that I can, possibility, I can absolutely relate to that. Yeah, yeah. Sort of the bigness of the experience overshadows the fear. Yeah, and so so that was one lesson, and then another lesson that I feel like I've I've tried to cultivate about fear is that in in your own in your own exhaustion, in your own effortfulness, the repetitive and cyclic motion of riding a bicycle, the the simple camp chores that you do before setting, before you know sleeping sleeping every night, like that that kind of basic embodied engagement with the world, being tired. <laughs> being maybe undernourished, being a little dehydrated. And maybe it's raining on you. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. So the shivering and the and the looking up at the sky for for a, a relief from the elements. Mm. Like in in those sensations, I feel like we can find a relief from our fear because our our body like being the bodies that we are and being the bodies in this cyclic motion is a kind of meditation if you like. Yes. And that meditation is a is or maybe at some point, some points can be uh, an antidote to the fearfulness that we might feel. I'll just say one more thing about that. Yeah. I think I think that fear often is the result of of being too much in your own identity and and wondering if 
the 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 very specific self that you think you have is enough to meet the experience that you're having mm -hmm. but in bike packing and in cycling in general and in lots of lots of athletic endeavors and a lot of like effortful expert practices woodworking dancing piano playing cooking in a lot of those kinds of practices the distinction between yourself and the world disappears to a certain extent and so the sources of your fear then diminish because you're not testing your worries and wonders about yourself against where you are you're just in the experience you're just present in the experience right. so i wanted to present that as a kind of do, do you response. meditate i do yeah and and i'm i wouldn't pretend that i'm a uh, an expert meditator by by any stretch that takes a lot of practice and it takes it takes a teacher to make sure that you're meditating in a way that's healthy for you so mm. I, I've started, I know you you know Sam Harris, uh, being the professor that you are. And, Absolutely. Uh, we talked about that, but I've been following his uh, Waking Up app. Yeah, you know, very good. Through, through meditation, so I'm just right. new to the idea of meditation. But um, I just recently went on a bikepacking trip uh, before this one to West Virginia, and it was the first time I got to try to practice some of those meditations. Well, I've been practicing on like just in-town rides and sure. trying, to, trying to meditate while I'm riding and get in that place. Um, where those, anything you're feeling can evaporate. I mean, you can evaporate yeah. the, the problems that you're feeling at home or, you know, it's, it's just, it, yeah, you're evaporating, uh, or it, it is evaporating through, through meditation. That's right. That's right. Um, yeah. So I was just, I was just curious. It's something I'm very new to and, and learning to use as a tool, but I can already see just through my limited experience how valuable it can be right. Um, right. to just focus on all, you know, it can be anything. It can be your breath. It can be the repetitive motion of your, your feet going right. up and down. Right. It could be the leaves falling. And, you know, I mean, I, you just like, you live in that moment and you allow those things to be the experience. And then that, that, that nagging, whatever it was, is no longer the experience. The, the knee that was hurting or, right. Right. you know, those things just fall away. You said it exactly right. And the, I, I like that you're using this word nagging because one of the things that meditation does is it it enables your attention to not be co-opted by these these tiny distractions that that come into all of our all of right. our heads and I think fear is often the result of those tiny distractions mm -hmm. you're wor you're worried about uh, where am I going to find water to refill the bottle or, yeah. or where am I going to sleep tonight? Or is, am I in a dangerous situation right now? Or how much further do I have to go? And though those tiny worries can accumulate into this nagging presence that then takes over all your attention and you're not there in the moment anymore. Right. But meditation is a way or can be a way and it takes practice. It takes some, yeah. some, uh, understanding of the history of of meditation as a practice, but meditation can be a way to re re resolve your yeah. attention. Meditation is an intentional way to do it, but I think what you were talking about, and your and and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but it it feels like I mean we've all been there when we've been on a bike trip where, where we are either overwhelmed by the beauty Absolutely. or we are overwhelmed by the difficulty, Absolutely. or we get caught up in the minutia, and all of a sudden we realize that we forgot about we were afraid of bears or we yeah. forgot about that because we're just so overwhelmed by it. so it's kind of like a meditation you kind of get into the same place it's just it just happens and and you're right that that you you don't need to set out to meditate mm -hmm. during your bike packing trip yeah. 
you can. But I do. You don't, yeah, yeah. Been, yeah, but, but you don't have. But to. you don't have to because yeah. you're right that the the that the the bodily motions themselves lend themselves to uh, a release from those yeah. kinds of those kinds of co-opting uh, distractions. Right. And and I, I love the way you're saying it that that what we're trying to do is be in in the place in a geography in a in a history if we're moving through a, a country that that expresses its history in the powerful ways that countries can and all of that is different from what you were worried about while you were packing at home because mm-hmm. that's a time when you're not in this meditative state that's a time when you're you're hyper focused on what can go wrong because yeah. you're forming a forming a plan for how to respond that totally makes sense you should be yeah you should be that, should that's be. when you should be doing all that prep work right but then when you're out there in it all that fear or, or y- you can find yourself in a in a beautiful place where that fear is not the dominant presence in your in your psychology anymore yeah so uh, let's go through uh some of the other tips that you have for fear for fear yeah so the other thing i wanted to say about fear which i've tried to make sense of more in my life is that sometimes sometimes the fear i have obscures the fact that where i am and what i'm doing is fearful for the the people and the beings mm-hmm. around me mm-hmm. and so like fear is it is so it can be so consuming that somehow we lose track of the fact that there are others with with us and their emotions are part of this bigger this bigger interaction and once you have their emotions in play then your fear doesn't seem like it's the main thing anymore yeah. and so so one of the stories i wanted to tell uh to this to this great group is is traveling in South Africa and and being being by myself and riding in the middle of the night with my headlamp and coming down these switchbacks and stopping for a reason that I I had no awareness of or couldn't discern and then having my having my headlamp play against the bushes and and know that something was there and something was different and seeing these two pinpoints of emerald and then seeing two eyeballs and then seeing that resolve into a into a leopard and and that that meeting right that leopard was was 10 12 meters away from me like that meeting was a meeting where my heart my heart started pumping but I knew and thought her heart was pumping too and we were we were meeting each other as two beings in this world Mm -hmm. in fear and suspicion and in wonder and i just imagine this this leopard thinking what are you and why are you here right here i'm straddling a bicycle and i was wondering of the leopard what are you and and why are you here and that working through that relation with the other emotional beings around me has been a source of a kind of antidote to fear where there there's much more going on emotionally in our world when we're with other people or or with other living things than just that that pinprick of fear that that, you're that, you, that I'm experiencing now yeah. that's not to diminish the fact that panthers are dangerous yeah, animals not at all <laughs> right not at all and that right just you, for safety reasons <laughs> yeah yeah you have to have your wits about you for sure yeah but I mean, uh, as you immerse uh, yourself in nature, um, having a respect and uh, an understanding of the fact that number one, you're in their home, right? And right. Uh, and number two, 
at least in my experience, I mean, if you're in the desert and there's a rattlesnake, he doesn't want to harm you. Right. Biting you causes him uh, to, to, to use a, a tremendous amount of energy. Right. Massive cost. That he yeah. needs. That's right. So you were doing that animal a disservice, you know? So right. like, yeah, a lot, a lot of that fear, I mean, I'm kind of spitballing here, but a lot of that fear I think just comes from a lack of understanding and education I of, agree. of the environment uh, that you're in. I, um, I know that when you're looking at Panther, you weren't like, uh, I mean, you knew that this was a real serious thing, but you also respected the fact that right. you were in probably his home. <laughs> right, right. And, and, and the, the South Africans that I told the story to later were, were envious that I'd had this opportunity. And I want to, I want to hold on to that fact that it was a, a chance to do something and see something and be somewhere that not, not everybody has. And yeah. it was extraordinary to be there at that moment. I can't imagine staring down what did you say? Fifteen meters, twelve meters. Yeah, like twelve that? meters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, a, a big, very strong animal. Yeah. Um, a, a beautiful animal. I love all the, how the, all these stories or all these um, these ideas on fear uh, are born from very real, uh, could be fearful, you know, right experiences that you've had and you've Absolutely. worked through. And all right, so keep going. Yeah, and so and then at the the last one is for me the most complicated one this last lesson that fear has taught me. And the way I want to put it now is that fear, when I have it, when I know it in my, in my bones, as we all do, it's an invitation for me to ask myself, to interrogate myself as to what it is I'm fearful of. Because you don't always know. You often mis- or it seems to me you often misidentify what it is you're afraid of. And in moving in different cultures through histories and through human flux the the change that human beings cultivate around themselves moving through through all that in, in your life can be a source of fear but it might well come from a a, a confusion or an ignorance or a prejudice right, right. or a, a foolishness on a small-mindedness on your part so so um and again, I, I'm talking about myself here, so so I'm not calling anybody out. I'm just no. I'm just trying to say that that in traveling the world, in spending time in in Pakistan, and spending time in Guatemala, in riding bicycles in Nepal, the the experiences that I've had interacting with people are ones that maybe are initially one, ones of suspicion or fear or concern. But then I want to interrogate that and ask myself, like, what is it that that I'm being afraid of right now? Right. Because I, often enough, I find out that that I don't endorse in myself the attitude that led to that fear. So I think about traveling in in Cuba, uh, the beautiful country of Cuba, uh, which Logan and Virginia and I did recently, and and we own, we met with the with the greatest beauty in people in talking to people, the greatest kindness in talking to people. And, and, you know, if you, if you, if you think of Cuba as a, as a place of, uh, whatever Castro's politics or, or it's, it's sort of outsized presence in 20th century Caribbean and therefore North American history, you might think, okay, go to Cuba. And as a, as someone from the USA, you might take some heat or flack, but if you're afraid of that, you're totally wrong. Right, because we're human beings and we're connected mm. by our humanity, and we found that again and again in Cuba. On the flip side of that, though, if that's the right way to put it, I think 
that it's important not to go to, not to travel with a sense of, enti- of, of entitlement, that you're entitled for oh, people yeah. to be nice to you and be good to you mm-hmm. and to take care of you. Right. If, if it's still self-supported. Yeah, it's still self-supported. And in this deep way, it's self-supported. Right, it's yeah. emotionally, you're self-supporting mm-hmm. and self-supported. I like that you, you're, you're saying it uh, in terms of some something that we all recognize, self-support. Right. It's still self-supported. And I recently... Yeah, the world doesn't owe you anything. Those right. people don't owe you anything. You've experienced right. amazing kindness and generosity, but that's not your right that's not your right exactly and to think it's your right is to disrespect the lived experience of the people who are there in a place where you're a guest and so uh, i know we we talk about bikepacking in terms of being explorers or exploration and and i get why we use that word it's sort of a fun provocative way of putting it but we're not explorers we're you know in the best of circumstances we're guests in places where yeah. other people have lived for for as long as human beings have, yeah. have been yeah. around, yeah. and so, it, you know, recently I, I had I had a chance to tour in Ethiopia, and we had we, we had set aside three weeks for this tour, and in the first week we'd had some of the most beautiful and transcendent experiences that we could imagine ethiopia has had human beings living there since there's been human beings that's amazing and it's an amazing place an amazing landscape amazing history and ethiopians are proud of never having been colonized by by european powers and so we loved being there and we had i don't i don't know how many how many minutes how many thousands of minutes are in the the first eight days that we had but we had that many thousands of minutes of incredibly positive experiences but we also had we also had an hour that was pretty tough and an hour when when we had done something we know not what and some some folks in a village made it known that that they didn't want us to be there and um you know i don't i I don't tell these stories to to frighten i tell these stories to try to illuminate my own sense of fear where logan and virginia were were beaten with sticks and and stones as they as they rode away and our other friend joel was hit with sticks as as they rode down the road and that was i couldn't escape from that situation and i was held for for 20 25 30 minutes and i didn't know what was going to happen and and the way that i left that situation was a, a matter of luck and and you know sort of look back at it it's something I wrote about for the the second issue of, yeah, of you the bike, that bikepacking journal. Yeah. So um, there's a there's a full account of this story in the in the second journal. Yeah, and in, in issue two of the bikepacking journal, and that was that was a catharsis to write the hmm. the piece. Yeah, and to to talk about it and think about it. But I guess what I what I want to emphasize now is not not that we had. A tough moment which we definitely did do and we ended our trip and we ended it in a certain sadness but I, I'm not trying to tell the story for that reason but I'm I want to share the story as an example of of trying to overcome a sense of being entitled that entitled to people being nice to me mm-hmm. right we're, we are we're guests and they're the the people that we visit people who are hosting us have their own lives that they're understanding and navigating in their own way and so 
if I go to the world with a fear that that's going to happen again, or if I go to the world with a fear about the worst case scenario of how people can interact, that's to, that's to, to treat human interaction in this kind of confused, idealized way. We're human beings. Yeah. Stuff can happen anywhere. Yeah. And that gives me a calm. Right, it could happen in Chicago or, I mean, it, it could happen in Texas. Yeah, I mean, right, right. I mean, I, I grew up in New York City and I live half the time in New York City these yeah. days. And it's, it's, I hear from, from friends like, oh, I could never visit the city. It seems so busy, it, yeah. you know, isn't it? You know, I wouldn't, I, can I walk around Central Park at night? And it's like, <laughs> yeah, New Yorkers will be really nice to you. Yeah, that's, I mean, we live in a society where uh, negativity uh, draws ads and, right. and that's sells right. sells uh, that's right. and, and and you're i mean that's what's so neat is that you're just like well i'm just gonna go over there and find out for myself right and right. i'm gonna i'm gonna bring that back i'm gonna share my experiences the other neat thing that you've done is you're creating routes in all these places so you're making it accessible for other people to um experience something similar to what you experienced you know so that's really neat thanks well we have to go uh, because we're on a tight schedule here. Yep. But um, thanks for having I, me. I do. I just want to say that, like, um, man, anyone who wasn't here and didn't get a chance to hear that missed out. Like, I've talked to so many people here, and that was a really standout, uh, powerful story and lesson for people here. Um, it's coming from a place of experience of going around all over the globe and 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 interacting with you know, whether it's wildlife or people or whatever it is. And to, to get that, um, in such a powerful and a meaningful way really hit home. Thank so, you. uh, thank you. Thank you for like, yeah, put, I mean, going out and doing all those things and then bringing it back and sharing it with us so we can all benefit from your experiences. Appreciate you saying that. Thank yeah, you. Absolutely. All right. Well, let's go do it. Let's go. All right. All right. All right. Thank you for sticking around. And I hope that, uh, I didn't oversell Joe. I don't think so. He's a pretty special man with a lot of neat experiences and he's really able to articulate them. And it, they're obviously very well thought out ideas. And uh, anyway, yeah, thank you, Joe, for coming on the podcast. Uh, if you want to follow him on Instagram, he's at Joe Cruz Pedaling. And yeah. All right. Well, if you stuck around this long, hopefully that's because you are enjoying the show and you're getting something out of it, um, for which I'm very grateful. But like I said at the beginning, this show wouldn't be anything if it wasn't for the pe people who support it. You have never heard an advertisement on this show. There are no sponsors. Uh, it's just me talking to people, uh, sharing my opinions. They're unfiltered and not everybody's going to like them. Not everybody's going to like me and that's okay. Uh, but none, nothing that I talk about is... Uh, filtered down in any way. So I hope you understand and can appreciate the value in that and would like to also help. Uh, the number one drive right now is for the van. And I'm calling this drive the van or death drive, right? <laughs> and the truth is I failed to mention this at the very beginning, but yesterday, spoiler alert, I bought the van. Uh, it was just too good of an opportunity to pass up. I mean, it was just so perfect. So I'll take a minute to tell you about it. It's a 2005 Ford E250, has 118,000 miles on it. It's one owner. It was an older couple that uh, it was it actually came with a bike rack installed in the in the back cargo area, and uh, they'd already insulated it and um, 
they they would sleep in the back. They take it to Colorado and all over and and sleep in the back. And so it was already like set up for what I want to do because my idea is have a bed in the back and some storage. And then in the middle will be a podcasting studio. One of the main chairs in front, one of the captain's chairs or whatever is going to swivel around and be able to record a podcast anywhere. Um, the, the thing is just so clean. They have every single receipt, everything that's ever been done to the van in the last 15 years. Uh, and it was just too good of an opportunity to not go ahead and, and pick it up. Um, but I, you know, I know I feel comfortable. I feel confident that y'all are going to really dig that idea and hopefully, um, prove me right. So I feel really good about it. I'm super stoked. I'm absolutely in love with this van. I cannot wait to turn it into a little mobile studio and drive around the country and talk to people. We're actually going to be taking it out to Spirit World 100 uh, here in about, oh gosh, a few days. And uh, that'll be the first test drive uh, of the real test of the van. Um, So I'm looking forward to it. So Please, if you can, uh, head over to GoFundMe or the link in my Instagram profile. Donate what you can. Like I said, if you want to only donate a dollar to you, that's totally cool. Uh, It really does does add up. And uh, my wife appreciates it because I've I've assured her that I'm going to get this thing funded by the listeners who love this show. Uh, So prove me right, please. Uh, all right, enough about the van. Uh, I think it's going to be sweet, but there's only so much you can say about a van, right? And we're here to talk about bikes. Oh, wait, no, right now we're here to talk about how you can support Bikes or Death. Really, the easiest thing you can do is go to bikesordeath.com, and there you can either sign up as a Patreon, which is a monthly donation, anything from a dollar up to whatever you want to give every month. Um, It is very, very important. I rely on that money, and I use it to fund stuff like recording equipment or travel charges or merchandise or a van. The other way you can support the show is just go to PayPal. Again, there's a link on my website and uh, a one-time donation. If you like this episode, you thought it was really good, you could say, all right, well, I appreciate that one. That was a good one. Here's a dollar. Here's a couple bucks. Um, A lot of people have been taking advantage of that, and that is so great. Thank you so much. And then lastly, while you're there on the website, just go ahead and check out the merchandise. We got some sweet stickers and shirts, and I'm working on getting some more stuff in there for all you lovely people. So go in there and check that out. All right. Again, thank you, thank you, thank you for everybody who supports this show. It really would not be what it is without all the support from listeners like you who make it happen. Next week's interview is another one in the Bikepacking Summit series with Kate. She's one of the owners of Mulberry Gap in ELJ, Georgia. I can't say that. I'm just going to say Elijah. Elijah, Georgia. (laughs) Um, And it was great. She, uh, again, you've probably heard me talk about her and her husband, Andrew. They have a amazing facility there in the National Forest. um, And they're just great people, wonderful humans who love riding bikes. And uh, it was great to talk to her. So next week we will have her. In the meantime, oh gee, what could you do to fill your time in the meantime? I mean, you could mow your lawn, you could clean the house, you could reorganize, you could decorate for Christmas. Or, you know what? You just say fuck it and go ride your damn bike. You load up your bike, you ride away from home. You could be with your friends or you could be alone. 
day or maybe more you just love being in the great outdoors everything you need is strapped to your bars including that new pillow you got from santa claus and then you think oh shit to yourself you left that super lightweight tent on the living room shelf bikes 